0: I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. Fear is the
1: mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. When it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Nothing, Only I will remain.
0: Hey, what's up, guys? We have another Emptiness Lab episode where me and Tom sit down and chat with Michelle Janicki, she is a journalist a writer and author her latest book was your psilocybin mushroom companion so if there's anyone who's uninitiated and would like to prepare oneself for a journey this is a great resource to check out Uh, she also has a lot of cool articles and blogs and a really authentic voice in which she writes and reports on things so it was really cool to be able to talk to her this was a fun chat. Uh, We go over various things like um, bad trips, um, the therapeutic uses. Um, I try to tease out a little woo from her (laughs) Um, and we get to talk about cannabis a little bit. But yeah, this was fun and I hope you guys enjoy it. Michelle, welcome to the podcast
1: yeah thanks so much for having me
2: <laughs> yeah it 's really cool to to uh, to speak to a journalist and um, someone who 's maybe yeah on the front line of of, um, of reporting on a lot of these new developments really in the, in the psychedelic space. Um, maybe we could just start off um, by asking you how did you get into this uh, journalistic realm? have you always been a, a writer or a journalist or someone researching or writing about drugs and psychedelics
1: (laughs) yeah that's a good question um i've always wanted to be a writer uh and so writing and reading were always a passion of mine and separately as a teen and young adult psychedelics and cannabis were becoming passions of mine as well and um it, it kind of just sort of happened as these things do. I was reporting first on cannabis in the United States and Mexico on legalization at, at first. And then it really moved into more of like the health benefits of cannabis and CBD and looking into different things like CBD for arthritis and aging and pain and And it just kind of naturally progressed with the mainstream interest in psychedelics that there was more interest in writing about other substances outside of cannabis. And so my experience lent itself really naturally to then writing about, you know, benefits of mushrooms and ketamine and MDMA and all these other sorts of things. And now it's become a specialty of mine. I'm really lucky to do this full time and to have people reach out to me like, oh, I'd love for you to investigate like this weird little niche in psychedelic culture and and I can just do that as a career. It's amazing. It's a blessing. It's yeah, it's fun.
2: <laughs> and just reading some of your stuff, one thing that I that I really find interesting and appreciate a lot is is you bring the experience into it, your own personal experience into it as well, which for something like psychedelic and drug research, I think is 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 so critical and so important for for telling a story rather than from sort of a neutral skeptic uh skeptical point of view that you actually bring a lot of your own experience into it as well and the way that you're writing that comes through in your writing as well
1: oh cool yeah you know i try to also bring some skepticism but uh it's kind of like a a tradition in this community for researchers and writers alike to, to To really like fully immerse themselves in this culture and to like be using the substances and testing them on themselves like You know, the shulgans albert hoffman but all the writers like huxley and all these people, you know, they were that's It's kind of a yeah like a classic tradition at this point i'm lucky to To be able to do it. There's a lot of like, you know, it's not always legal and stuff. Um, and so sometimes I You know, there's things to like think about and worry about and but um it's it's great i I mean thank you i i uh i do want to make sure to include and not only my own point of view but i really try to include a lot of other user experiences rather than just maybe like what the researchers are saying or what happens in clinical trials i really try to reach out to just like uh for a lack of a better word you know drug users out there just doing their thing and they've developed their own rituals their ways of you know staying safe and to spread that knowledge and um And to also talk to like underground researchers underground therapists i'm trying to bring that a little bit more into my work because there are so many points of view to the psychedelic renaissance um specifically and the mainstream media can kind of get just not stuck but you know it's most acceptable to talk to the clinical researchers but you know, they're only doing what they're doing because of all the people that came before them. And so I want to just try to give everyone a voice when I can, for sure.
0: <laughs> um, Michelle, do you feel that like as a advocate and spokesperson, is there pressure to present psychedelics in a certain way, like uh, through the medical trials as a medicine and uh, you don't hear so much about the, the mysticism, the, the mystery, the spiritual side through the research. I, I know there's a study on the, the spiritual aspect of it, but I feel like the advocates are kind of scarred from the, the 60s approach, a counterculture. So they're doing it in a very smart way, top down. Do you feel that pressure to, to kind of not alienate the lay people?
1: Yeah, I feel a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of these things, definitely. And honestly, when I was writing the book, uh, Your Psilocybin Mushroom Companion, and, you know, tripping occasionally as research, I would feel the pressure a lot, like, when I would come out of a journey or, like, in a journey, because... I felt the pressure of the scientific community, A, to not, like, be too reckless and controversial and to be, and, you know, people in the scientific community can sometimes, they think I'm a little dangerous because they think that maybe I'm um, encouraging people to do drugs, and I'm not, like, I am just a Youngish person who's grown up in this world where everyone is is that I know have already been using these things and sometimes in dangerous ways And so I just really want to keep people safe I realize they're already doing it and like how can we give people tools to do this more safely is like a huge part of my mission but I have to be so careful with how I say things and then people think I'm not being careful and sometimes and It's a lot of pressure actually. Yeah, like but the the pressure to to speak to lay people is the one that I'm like the most passionate about I think, and to like to really connect and resonate with the because the readers are gonna be like just psychonauts or people that are curious or people that tried this a few years ago or back in college and they're like wait maybe there's still a place for mushrooms in my life in my 50s or my 60s or something like that and. And I really, I'm really speaking to those people. The medical community is great and they're my experts sometimes and they're doing so much. And it's, it's not a binary, it's not us versus them, but I really, um, I try to take the pressure from the just the normal people out there using that want to do so better or safely as like my main motivator because yeah, I mean, they're, they're the people. That's what I'm speaking for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a researcher, yeah. right? Like I only have an undergrad degree. I'm not like, you know, <laughs> so anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely a my, there's I, I just like to, sorry. Did you? I, I just want to say uh, the voice you have though. I, I love it. I was actually getting, <laughs> I got like a little emotional reading uh, your blog about your Um, retreat you went on and how vulnerable you were reporting your true feelings about how you had this like imposter syndrome and were questioning yourself I mean I think you're doing it the right way it was just raw truth uh, of experience and that was a beautiful journey Um, reading that blog people should check it out I think it was in playboy
1: yeah, it was an article in Playboy. It was in a print issue, the pleasure issue last year, but it's also up on the website. And yeah, yeah, thank you. That means a lot. I'm going to start tearing up. That was a hard one to both write and just experience. But uh, thanks, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's. I think there's a danger of, of, of sort of creating more hierarchies when it comes to, to talking about psychedelics. Like, that's why... Like as you say, journalists are one voice, authors, they're one voice. And then but then there's there's musicians and then there's there's athletes and then there's poets and artists. And it, it really sort of speaks to the fact that psychedelics are never psychedelics have been used throughout time and throughout history and certainly in contemporary times by everybody, by the lay people, you know, by the and, and I think one of the myths that's that's really sort of being dispelled by people like yourself and your writing. In the contemporary sort of realm that we're in now is the fact that everybody uses these substances and that they're actually not um, they're not sort of in the realm of hippies anymore or people who are you know maybe sort of on the edge of society or who are who are certainly working in countercultural realms they're just everyday people and I think to have to sort of to flatten this hierarchy of who gets to speak about it. Uh, I think is really important as well that it's not just the medical people. I think it's, I think it's really important that the medical voice is is prominent quite right now because we're in almost in this liminal phase where we're the awareness of of drugs and of psychedelics is sort of still coming into public consciousness again. The revival hasn't fully isn't fully fledged yet. So I think that there's an importance of having a sort of a a very sort of a modest scientific you know johns hopkins kind of voice to it as well but but also not discounting people like yourself with your own story and 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 certainly a lot of the work that that dj and i do as well is is provide a voice for for guys who are interested in exploring these things and who are struggling with certain issues of being a guy in contemporary society and using it for physical uh, exploration and so on and so forth
1: Yeah, and that's really cool. I think the work you guys are doing is really cool because there needs to be like a psychedelics and cannabis can almost be a really feminine thing just because they make you really in touch with your emotions and reflective and and we can just view that culturally as feminine even though like that binary is totally bs and like whatever but like just having a a more thoughtful male perspective is is so important right now for anything. And I think that's, it's really cool. And what I I also wanted to speak to like this everyone uses idea because that's one of the most, it was one of the most exciting things about reporting on cannabis, like four or five years ago, uh, was being able to highlight these voices that or using cannabis that are not your typical stoner, right? It's not like some Bill and Ted skateboarding teenager, like whatever, like weird stigma or stereotype that we all still kind of have around cannabis and psychedelic users like, or just drug users in general, like that they're these kind of like lazy dropout people in culture and that, That's why they're illegal because it's inherently wrong and makes you like a bad person or something. But what we're finding with cannabis and psychedelics is it's like can be so much the opposite of that. It can really like make people more engaged in their own wellness, in their communities, in their families, um, more balanced emotionally, more able to be reflective on when their emotions are out of balance and things like that. And and how there's such like a social conscious too to the psychedelic experience where you realize like this behavior of mine affects the people around me in a negative way and then you come out of the trip wanting to change that and and there's just like so much and people so like with cannabis too it was like a fun thing to To report on like you know grandma's using cannabis for arthritis or just like all these different really productive members of society that you wouldn't normally associate with a drug user uh that you know smokes weed after work and it's like oh yeah it's not an either or you're not a drug user or a productive member of society you can be both um and it's been a really fun time in the culture to highlight that. And now to like move from cannabis, like, we're starting to accept that in the mainstream culture with cannabis. Not everywhere, and like, there's still a lot of work to do, but it's also been fun to. To do it with psychedelics, to to try to change the stigma, and but then there's all these like other stigmas you run into. Like then there's the plant medicine people, and so only natural psychedelics are okay. And then there becomes all these other, and for, so my whole deal is to just like I want to just break all those barriers and just like try to help people be open and understanding to all types of substance use less judgmental the less judgmental we are of drug users the less dangerous situations they'll put themselves in by using you know secretively and all these kinds of things and, and recklessly and impulsively and so um yeah it's just like one small step on on elevating a whole culture but it's a fun and really meaningful work to um to be a big part of so
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's like who, who are we to uh tell people these chemicals are more sacred uh, than others or you can only alter your consciousness in this certain way it sounds like you have the libertarian view of people have the freedom to experiment as long as they're not hurting uh, others and I like that and I'd like to I'd be interested what is your view on um, cannabis do you consider that a psychedelic do you group it in together
1: I didn't until recently and I've been exploring this in my work a little lately that uh, cannabis is is very psychedelic I think it's like a really manageable psychedelic medicine it's short acting it's not as strong but uh, you know it's very not very common to have like the visual change but the emotional change and like the the cause for self-reflection um, and the, the new the perspective shift that, you know, smoking high THC cannabis or using high THC cannabis where you do get, like, an elevated experience, I think that you do get a perspective shift, and I've realized that it, it's very much a part of more my, like, day-to-day psychedelic or spiritual practice where it's, like, I could have a really stressful day and be, like, really irritable with people I love or something and I can go smoke some cannabis at the end of the day and and reflect on that and it might make me feel bad it's not like a good trip I'll feel a little ashamed I'll be like man I really shouldn't have yelled at him like that or like whatever but I can use that like instead of like saying that's a bad cannabis trip and cannabis gives me anxiety and stopping to use cannabis I like lean into that discomfort and it's like oh, actually, I couldn't, maybe next time I'll do this, or I should apologize to this person, or sometimes it's, I'm being too hard on myself, like, I gotta really, like, be easier on myself, I'm still doing a lot, like, be grateful for the things I have, not the things that I don't, or whatever, it's, it's overlapping my, my new meditation practice, too, not that I smoke and meditate, but that the skills that I'm learning when I'm learning how to meditate are actually, like, really useful, not just for the psychedelic experience, but like for navigating cannabis experiences and using the the new perspective to like integrating it, right? Like these things we talk about in psychedelics to using it to be sort of a better person. You don't have to do like a really deep journey with cannabis, I think, for it to be psychedelic. I am on this new level where, and I think like set and setting affects your cannabis experience, how you use cannabis, Uh, intentionally or in a ceremony there's a lot of different avenues I think for cannabis to be more accepted by the psychedelic community and practice Um, there's a lot there I do think
2: (laughs) Michelle one of the I guess reading between the lines and and some of some of your articles that I've read it's uh, this idea of of psychedelics being predominantly Tools of of wellness or, or, or seeking wellness, whether that's um, wellness in terms of healing certain traumas or wellness in terms of enhancing someone's spiritual practice, and I and I think I'd like to get your thoughts on on this idea. Do you think we're too focused on this idea of what wellness is and the way that we can sort of categorize wellness instead of actually, I mean, the way that 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 I and certainly with DJ as well, we we try and understand that the psychedelics as a tool for illuminating the the entire spectrum of of human experience, and and that could that could mean wellness, and it could mean uh, performance-related um, issues to do with physicality, for example. But it could also mean ways that we deal with. You know, tougher parts of our of our past, or our shadow side, or or certain certain grief that's been unresolved or un uh, unmet in our in our past. So, so I'd like to get your your thoughts on the way that. Do you think, in a way that we could, language is a really important thing. Like when we're talking about psychedelics, I think, and and I think for people who are maybe new to this realm or or who are interested in in pursuing this this that maybe uh, not to have too many expectations rather than just to sort of have a, an idea of looking at psychedelics as this sort of open source of, of, of consciousness expansion. Yeah, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, a lot. I think that we can kind of like get stuck in this place where it's only acceptable to use psychedelics, like if you're trying to achieve wellness, in a way, like that, wellness can even be achieved at all, that it's not this like ongoing process, right? That because that's more of a realistic way to look at it. That it was hard for me at first getting back into psychedelics because I can deal with a lot of like depression and anxiety and stuff, and so I really did want it to help in those ways. But I think when we make that the goal, that you know, I'm going to take mushrooms, um, this like big ass dose, and afterwards, I'm going to be totally healed and a better person. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it, because I think that people come out of a trip, and a lot of shadow stuff comes up, and they don't know what to do with it. And it's like challenging, or, you know, they're not totally you know their social anxiety isn't gone or their depression's still there and it can i think that can make people feel worse coming out of psychedelic experiences like when you because no, i have a lot of i'm <laughs> just trying to <laughs> um because you just you when you have too many expectations you can make yourself feel bad uh even worse unintentionally and it's a big um Kind of psychedelic navigation skill that they've been talking about since the 60s. Like Timothy Leary talks about this that, you know, going in with expectations is really the wrong way to do it. Um, and that's going to affect your whole set. And if you're someone who always has a lot of expectations and always finds themselves being disappointed, like that same cycle is going to continue in the psychedelic experience. It's not a totally different thing. Um, at the same time, though, psychedelics can help um people be more reflective and more open and more understanding more forgiving of themselves and other people and their pasts and you can go in with intentions but um i wrote about this a little in that playboy article we were just talking about that you know uh when you set too many intentions for a psychedelic journey or like you have really complicated intentions and you want to just change the whole world with this one journey, like that's kind of a recipe for a a challenging experience, which I didn't fully realize going in. And it was like, oh, you know, I'm going to do all these things the next day. And it's like, oh, it's just so much bigger and harder and more work than that. But when you go in with smaller and more simple intentions, just like to love yourself or forgive yourself or you know just more just like straightforward simple or more things that reflect openness to any experience and acceptance like um so then i went into um my last journey on that um at that retreat just thinking like Teach me, I'm listening, just giving the mushrooms all the agency, like instead of trying to control everything and use it all for this like really specific path myself, that's when I got the most out of them. That's when they showed me um, the most like self-healing in this like kind of hard to explain with words way because it wasn't very intellectual. It was very much like a feeling. Um and I think that that 's kind of a balance that you have to find if you want to use psychedelics for wellness that it can help um, and you can form certain practices and do certain things to to you know make the benefit as as much as possible, but in a way, you really have to trust yourself and the process. Uh, in this kind of hard to explain way where you can make wellness a goal but you can't control the whole situation too strongly to achieve that goal it's it's kind of an elusive thing you just have to be very open to whatever comes and and eventually it's going to help you get better if you want it to you but it's it's complicated (laughs) yeah
0: um michelle and that Going back to that article, uh, I guess you would have what people would call a bad trip in the beginning, uh, and then I think you took double the dose at the end and had a great experience what are do you think there is such thing as a bad trip? Do you think they should just double the dose <laughs>
1: uh, so the community <laughs> likes to say there are no bad trips right there 's just challenging experiences, and you can use those those you can even use the most to learn about yourself and your shadow and things you want to change. And and I definitely agree to an extent. And I think those can actually also play a part, which maybe I'll talk about that after. But I think the only bad trip experiences um, or bad trips that I think exist are ones that are totally kind of unprepared for, like someone takes mushrooms really spontaneously at a party, not knowing what they're getting into, and then they don't like it, and they spend the whole trip just wishing it was over. Like, that is, I think, a bad trip. Um, and you can you can get into that. You can have a challenging experience when you prepare for everything really well, and like I was in a ceremony and all these things, and I still had a really challenging like wasn't all bliss, you know, type experience, but I did get a lot of lessons and stuff from it as well. Um, So I think bad trips are, I think it's just speaks to how important preparation is and knowing what you're getting into in the psychedelic experience and and most people, I think, do take that pretty seriously because it has been like community wisdom for a while now to, you know, do your homework, read a little bit about the experience, pick the dose, test your substances. These things are pretty getting normalized in the community. But I mean, yeah, challenging trips definitely still happen and you really just got to go with it. It's hard. But you got to just like release to it and it can still teach you a lot. But, you know, dose is a funny thing with mushrooms specifically, because I do kind of feel like on lower doses of mushrooms, I can have more challenging experiences than higher ones sometimes. Um not going too high, but like sometimes in the 1.5 to 2.5 range of mushrooms, of like strong psilocybin mushrooms, like it can kind of just, keep me in this like shadowy place where i'm like kind of just stuck in the swamp of all my negativity where like you go above three four grams like but still maybe less than five around there and it can kind of like elevate me above my problems to this place of like Oh, silly human. Like, what were you so worried about? I don't know. It might just be my mindset and stuff too. I don't know. But I have heard from other people that sometimes lower doses are more intellectual, you know, and you can kind of get Stuck intellectualizing things a little and that can lead to some anxiety for some folks or higher doses can be just less intellectual and more in the body and it can be a little more blissful but it really everyone's different so it's hard to tell someone oh just take four grams and it'll be fine because that's just not how it works right like so but for me yeah I am starting to but you know and then every mushroom's different and stuff too so you get really used to one batch and then you get a new batch and it's totally different so it's hard but there's definitely something there um
0: <laughs> yeah, I've I'm had that, to
1: figure out. Before
0: that and I was thinking like, maybe it's the, the default mode network is still somewhat on and the ego and, and you can get in those, uh, thought rationale loops. And when you go past that barrier, it just dissolves and you don't have the choice. Right. So I, but I think same line as bad trips, that, um, area might be good to work through some things.
1: Yeah. And Stanislav Grof said that too. He has uh, more about LSD, but in his book on LSD psychotherapy, he has the whole thing on that and how that that lower dose experience is really good for therapy because a lot of stuff can come up and you can start to process it, you know, like with a therapist. When you're on your own, it can be harder, right? You get stuck in the negative thought loops and you're like, I don't know, but- it's really interesting. Um, there's, I think like you're saying, there's definitely benefits to both experiences and I wouldn't recommend if you've never tried mushrooms and you're listening to this to start high, like in the book, I recommend people do start low just to get a feel for the experience. And then you, once you like kind of know what mushrooms are like, I think then it then go up to a full eighth. But in the book I say, you know, I know it's pretty common for people to start with a full 3.5 grams, but I say maybe try a little lower, you know, Practice some of your navigation skills, letting go, your set and setting, and then go higher um, if you're still curious about what a deeper experience could be like. It's, I think it's more of like a safety thing, uh, personally. But yeah.
2: <laughs> one, of the, one of the realms that DJ and I are working with is, is doing research on microdosing um, in terms of uh, physical performance and uh, physical sensitivity and awareness, bodily awareness, Um, So what's your, I know you wrote about in your guide about microdosing and, but what's your, what's your experience? Because you're very much, especially at these sub perceptual doses, you're very much, um, if you're doing, if you're very much uh, practicing bodily awareness or or physical practice, it's it's, it can be a very, very powerful tool we have found to actually enhance the experience. Um, so I, I don't know whether you have any experiences from the, the physical side or, or what, what your experiences are from, from microdosing. Do you have any experience from certain protocols that you've been looking at certain effects at all?
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, um, so I have tried microdosing. I tried, um, the Fatiman protocol sort of where I took you know, a microdose um, every fourth day or third day. So I would take two days off and then another microdose, but I couldn't honestly do that for very long. It was too much. Um, Microdoses are, even though it was sub perceptual and it wasn't like tripping, um, they do really affect me and I can find it hard to concentrate. And so I, Uh, couldn't really do it for work like you know I was reading all these articles about people being really productive and in flow state and all this stuff but for me I'm already a very open and emotional and kind of intuitive person and and I know a lot of people use microdoses for that reason and I kind of feel like if it's like a bell curve like Uh, microdoses set me like off a little too far and I was like a little too open and emotional and it was hard to focus and I really just wanted to like go out into the woods instead of like do anything else Um, and so I like microdoses I've never um, tried it for really you know doing physical really being in my body more than like going to the park and hiking you know and I think that's really interesting and I would love to explore more I think what you guys are doing is really interesting um in like athletic performance and stuff or or just like yeah i'm uh i'm really curious to learn more about your practices for me it's always been more of like a mind thing i'm a writer all my work is creative and comes from my ability to think which (laughs) it's like a lot of pressure but microdoses they i like them just occasionally um for like for creativity and for you know being in touch with nature, um, and and thinking of things from a new point of view. But to be like totally honest with you guys, I'm more of a macro dose person, <laughs> uh, and I I can kind of like go to the like I'll be like all right, I'm in a micro dose today, and then I'll just be like man, this is really making me itch to do like a higher dose experience. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but. Um, I'm just uh, sensitive to microdosis, so I don't do it as often as other people do. I don't know. Uh, I have heard, so when I was reporting on cannabis, um, there was a lot of people, athletes, who wanted to talk about how the cannabis and high THC experience and like running and all these like physical activities together were like really kind of spiritual and uh, great for like getting in the flow state with um, exercise. And so... um, I know a little bit more about that than I even do about psilocybin microdosing and and that kind of thing. So it's it's very interesting to me, but I don't have much personal experience.
2: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, certainly on and off the record, DJ and I have, have encountered um, a lot of a lot of athletes who are who are currently exploring um, microdosing and having very profound results. Um, Often in training, just because it's for that sensitivity, that bodily awareness, that that remembrance, that muscle memory, that that reactivity and sensitivity that it allows these these athletes, so that when they do come to perform in their certain sport um, or fight if they're a martial artist, that they actually they actually almost have that enhanced memory, and that they say they report that that just having that subperceptual dose during training can actually really provide some sort of trigger to to a sort of a sensitivity that's always been there, but maybe they're sort of just not not so aware of during their normal kinds of training. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting process. I don't know whether DJ, you want to talk a little bit more about, about the kind of research yeah, that you're from, doing.
0: Uh, what we've heard from professional athletes, a lot of them in martial arts fighting is pattern recognition and just reading the other person wow. and quickly integrating it. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people are using that as a supplement because it's not tested for in these sports and THC is, you know, that could be risky. So I think a lot of people are saying this is available. It's an aid and it's spreading. So when we are able to uh, study it in performance or even allow it as a performance aid, because I think it's harmless at that dose should be just like another plant, uh, ergonomic. I don't know. It'd be really interesting to see.
1: Yeah, we should talk for a story. I should start thinking about this more. That's cool. I, I think this is really interesting. It's not surprising, right? Like the way a microdose can make people more intuitive and in tune to other people's emotions, more empathetic. You hear that a lot when people use it for like depression and stuff. So it's like, it makes sense. It's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like
0: learning skills. There's that neural plasticity and the neurogenesis. There's there's a story there somewhere definitely
1: oh yeah yeah <laughs> let me give this more thought i'll call you guys back <laughs> i'll interview you <laughs> cool
0: <laughs> yeah i mean the the bodily
2: the body certainly has like potential to be more flexible and not just a flexibility realm as well like just flexible in terms of the decision making um, process especially in high performance sport um, or even for sport, or even for non-sports, like even for, for example, yoga or or something that involves a lot of breath control and just that sensitivity as well. So it's um, it's an interesting mm-hmm. realm and it's a very understudied realm, which is why um, DJ and I ISO, yeah, excited about you know, the work that we're doing, the people that we're we're working with, and um, just to be able to combine it with, you know, to add physicality to. To the spiritual, to the, the mystic side, to the 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 healing side. There, you know, there's so many different elements with that psychic, psychedelics can sort of they can act in this non-specific way, but they can act in ways that enhance so much of what's there or so much of what we're missing. Um, and I think uh, it's a it's an interesting realm, and yeah, it'd be cool to to talk more about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're very collaborative, these plants, like cannabis and mushrooms. They very much want to meet you halfway to where you're at and like to help you get to that next level. And I think that's one of the best things about them. There are going to be so many more applications, I think, that in the mainstream culture, like right now with the mental health crisis and, you know, the opioid crisis and stuff, there's a lot of focus on psychedelics for mental health. Um, but there's like so many other avenues that I think are so worthy of exploring and and mental health is really at the base like if it's a pyramid mental health's always there and everything else kind of works off of it you know like so um, there's a lot there's a lot of interesting stuff um, yeah I look forward to it as well
0: <laughs> yeah about one of the more practical uses I personally had a, a opiate addiction when I was younger and um, and i had a large my first psilocybin experience i wouldn't say it like cured me of it but it was the start of the the thread that i kind of pulled myself out with it just it showed me um, a reality of what could be and kind of gave me the strength Um, and i know you had some issues with um, drug addiction past i believe could you talk about how psychedelics was a tool or our little helper <laughs> uh, in that scenario and how you see it being used for clinical therapeutic uses in the future
1: yeah yeah so my journey also isn't as it's not as black and white as like one mushroom journey cured my opioid abuse problem but um, I think that um, I mean, they can definitely help and and there is research into this um this is one of the the fields that people are looking into because the psychedelic experience can really help you look at your life from a new point of view and yourself and your behaviors and um And a lot of people come out of it realizing things that are like actually poisoning them or holding them back. Um, For me, lately, my psychedelic experience has been showing me that my anxiety is actually the main thing that's holding me back, that like when I avoid social situations and certain things, I guess it's easier to just maybe go smoke weed and watch Netflix than to like go do a podcast or like whatever it is Um, that, that I'm actually hurting myself and holding myself back. And I'm the main thing that is holding myself back. Like there's no one else. There's no like, yeah, there's some circumstances and stuff I've endured. Like that makes my journey different or harder or easier than someone else's. But like, I think one of the main things psychedelics tell us is that, like, essentially everything is in our control. It can be a really hard thing to accept, but like, every like our we have so much more agency than we give ourselves credit for. And one of the main lessons that I keep getting, because I often get the same lessons in many different journeys, is that like everything is a is a choice in my life, like I'm constantly making choices and I cannot take responsibility for my choices. It's very easy human thing to be like, Oh, I I didn't have a choice. I had to do it. But like, actually like everything we do is in our control. And, and, and that includes my anxiety. That includes my depression, the way I can abuse certain substances or whatever I'm doing. That's not super healthy. Like that's all my doing, Um, the way I can feel isolated, like that's my doing. I'm staying home instead of going out, like all these things. Like that's not, the culture right now, it's a weird one. But before the epidemic, I was still staying home so much because it was easier and I should have been going out more and engaging the community because that is when I feel the most fulfilled and, but it's exciting and it's overwhelming and it's like, so i think that when the psychedelic experience it it can teach us these really kind of root things and that can help people with addiction that can help people with um eating disorders it can help people with depression um or it can help people without these clinical things that are still struggling with stuff you know we always talk about it clinically but like you cannot have clinical anxiety and still stress about something too much and and um, psychedelics can help you see that and take a step back and be like, well maybe what if I tried this instead And um, yeah, no it's a complicated one um, for sure. I think also with addiction especially and eating disorders and, and other similar things is like there's a lot of a lot of those have their root in trauma and, and psychedelics, it's pretty well known um, can really help people process their trauma and, and not let it, be projected and control their lives um so much and i think that's a big part of what psychedelics teach us and psychedelic therapy is trying to show is that um we can break these cycles whether it's addiction or whatever um or you know that are rooted in childhood trauma or you know just just being ashamed as a child over certain things and stuff that um We can actually go in and start to to heal those things and move on instead of letting them control our behavior and our reactions to things and it's really powerful it's hard work you have to really be open to viewing all that painful stuff in the back of your mind but it's it can be really worth it um and certain people will need more you know professional support because their stuff might be harder but but psychedelics are really, I mean, another big lesson that they love to teach us is that we have that power within ourselves to, to to heal ourselves, essentially, and to make new choices and to make better choices, I guess, in a way. The ones that benefit us more. And it's just, it's just really, it's a lifelong journey. I feel like I'm very much in act one of my healing journey. It can be hard to talk about. I, it'll be fun to talk about in 20 years when more has happened. But uh, yeah.
2: I think that I think that's really well said that's that's that agency of choice again, and I think that's that's one of the the big uh differences or the big um, advantages with psychedelics over some of these more common prescription medicines that they don't that, that they don't really allow us this agency of choice and see that that in fact we have the the power to face these traumas and face these attachments ourselves and that there's no there's no golden pill in what we're doing but we're we're almost we're almost given this open window and this opportunity to see what it is that we need to do ourselves. And then from that, if we can sort of work, you know, again with uh with with good integration practices, which which I'd like to ask you about in in a sec, um, that we can actually take a little more a little more control over the choices that we have in in our own lives as a, as opposed to sort of seeking this, this panacea, if you like, of 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 healing in in you know, in a in a few grams of mushrooms. But one of the I'd like to talk to you in your book um, it was a really interesting part about integration and of course integration is such a such an important part of the of the psychedelic process maybe even maybe maybe it is the psychedelic process you know we have this static experience and we get all of these downloads and we we're presented with all these leaks in our conscious awareness and then suddenly we're left flat the next day thinking oh shit what now so so I think I, maybe I could ask you what 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 can we expect of a psychedelic journey? Like, do we do we do we have to have expectations of, of of what it is, or is it is it really important to have certain people or setups around us that can help us kind of uh, navigate this space of, of of uncertainty after the psychedelic experience?
1: Hmm. That's interesting. I think um, you can do certain things to help navigate the post psychedelic experience. I think there, I think. That having expectations about the trip is one thing and that can be, you know, both beneficial so you're prepared but a little damaging because you have all these expectations. But I think having, being prepared then for what is possible the next few days and the next few weeks is also important and maybe can get overlooked because um, I have a wee little bit in my book at the end of the integration chapter. It's like what to expect post-psychedelic experience because I don't think people talk about it so much. And it is kind of like, it can be this very rawness of emotion. It can be a confusing time. Um, You hear a lot about afterglow in the media and like Michael Pollan talked a lot about it in his book, How to Change Your Mind. And that's definitely also a real thing where you can feel really great and almost like super energized and it's almost like hypomanic. You're like, oh, I'm going to do all these things. And, and that can be really helpful for certain people to to make changes, like to start going to the gym, to stop doing this or whatever. But, but I think what's also very common is to feel kind of confused, to feel kind of lost at sea, to feel kind of overwhelmed with your downloads if you had a lot of them and they are very like you have to change your whole freaking life (laughs) like that's super stressful because it's like I can't leave my partner and my job and I can't like what am I gonna do or you know these are kind of common examples but I think then that's where the integration process can come to help and that's also where maybe Um, doing psychedelics in a ceremonial way or in a retreat or with a guide, like if you're kind of afraid that you're going to feel kind of lost at sea, then maybe you want to seek out some extra support um, because extra support, not only for the journey, like some kind of trip sitter is, is a good way to reduce harm, but to have support in place for the next, that week after, that month after the day after, uh, It can be a confusing time and it can also be a time where you really need to to do a lot of reflection, get in touch with yourself. And so there's all these practices that we recommend in the community like yoga meditation if you had a practice um, journaling you know maybe going to a group and sharing these kinds of things can help you feel a little less alone and confused just talking about it at all and finding community to talk about your experience if you don't have any access to that which now it's all online so there's no excuse there's all these like virtual integration circles but also just like i think people find a lot of um support and reading other people's trip reports, going through Arrowhead vaults, this kind of thing can really just help you feel a little less alone in your experience if it was really intense. But it's going to take a lot of just kind of mining through and maybe some journaling and processing, just reflecting. I think going out into nature and walking and reflecting can help people a lot on which one of these lessons needs to be enacted right now? What needs to be done? What can, not what can wait, but like what's going to be a longer process? How do you hold more patience and compassion for yourself in this process? And I think a big part of it is just, yeah, knowing it can be a little weird and hairy those next few days so you're not Um, you know, expecting an afterglow and getting a depression and being like, what's wrong with me? Oh no, like I'm even more damaged than I thought. Psychedelics don't even work on me, right? Like I just feel like there's all these possible ways to make people feel even worse and to just to also be, I suppose, like um, how we tell people to be open to the psychedelic experience, no matter what it is, just got to accept you got to be open, I think, to the post-psychedelic experience and to, like, all of life experiences and, you know, to just deal with one at a time and do your best and um, to not resist uh, that as well. It can be hard. It's, it's, it's a hard thing. And everyone's journey's so individual. And so we talk really broad. It, it's it's uh, It can be difficult for people to still even find comfort, I think, but you got to trust yourself. I guess it's the, the main thing. <laughs> it's hard.
2: <laughs> yeah, I certainly, re- I certainly recall um, after my first ayahuasca retreat, coming back and, and just feeling completely empty and just completely shattered and completely disillusioned and, and, and sort of wondering why um, my, my sort of new, revelations, if you like, couldn't sort of fit back into this reality that I was uh, entering back in. And and I was completely unprepared for this whole uh, integration phase. And, you know, I learned subsequently to that the preparation post, um, post retreat is is just as important, if not more than, than your preparation prior to to, to an experience anyway. And so it's, so I've certainly learned to surround myself with, um, yeah, with good people, with nature and, and really develop my own practices, my own personal practices of, of listening, finding compassion, finding peace and silence and solitude and, 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 you know, writing, which I, of course is my main practice, but, uh, but yeah, I, I really like that part and the, 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 that you stress the importance of, of, of having certain practices that you can rely on and even be the same practices as everyone else, but they can certainly just be practices that in some way can, can bring that ceremonial feeling back to your day-to-day life and that can be something as simple as lighting a candle at night or just having a small small little altar at home with a with a stone on it or something you know
1: definitely definitely i think an altar is a good one yeah uh it's such a i think it's a super common experience here when coming back from an ayahuasca retreat and not to uh you know say anything bad about retreat centers but i do think that they just don't have the um, ability to, to really support everyone afterwards, right? And that can just – it's a, just a technical problem right now that that I think the the creation of these psychedelic integration circles and societies and places around the U.S. and, and Europe, and I know they have one in London, um, they can really – that, that's been a reaction to this this new phenomenon, people coming back from retreats and being like, what do I do now? Um, and so those are definitely really um, helpful places to go meet community. If no one in your circle is very open to the psychedelic experience, thinks you sound like a crazy person talking about your ayahuasca journey, like, you know, find someone who will understand it. It'll, it'll be helpful for sure. <laughs>
0: uh, this. I want to ask a question that I would probably ask if we were all getting a drink somewhere. Um, What the hell do you think is going on with these substances? Like we've, we've used the language. um, They like, they taught us their helpers, their teachers. Do you have the materialistic view of how we're interacting with them? Do you think there's a plant intelligence or do you even think that viewing it that way in the placebo sense might actually be helpful like how, how do you how do they how are they in your story what kind of characters are these these plants
1: um you know I was never a very spiritual person I'm not like from California I don't know <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm from New Jersey like I don't know it was hard for me at first but oh man the more I get into it the more I do think that there, there could there could be like plant spirits or personas um, or desires or intelligence on their part. Um, you know, it's funny that um, you asked me this today because I was doing a bunch of reading this morning on kathleen harrison's work with cannabis and how like cannabis can have a persona and how cannabis to her is like a a big sister and how <laughs> to the, cannabis and her were sister wives to terence mckenna like she said this in a speech in 2017 which i thought was really interesting if you don't know when you're listening kathleen harrison is an amazing ethnobotanist but she's also quite famous for being Terrence mckenna's ex-wife um and she really believes that cannabis has a persona and and I'm starting to feel this. I don't really feel it in my everyday practice, but when I was um, I was a volunteer at a mushroom retreat this January, I was a trip sitter in a ceremonial women's circle for a week in Oaxaca. And um, I really, because we were like in ceremony and really just like the whole container was very spiritual and very open. And a lot of other women there had very close relationships with different plants like ayahuasca or rapé, tobacco and all these things that I kind of felt like oh man I don't even know and I thought I was an expert but um I think when you're in ceremony and you're under the influence of these plants you can start to feel something and you can interpret it in any way that makes you feel I mean you can interpret it in any way that you want and if it if it benefits you to interpret it in the spiritual way where the cannabis persona is is with you and supporting you then that's okay i think you know i I just i don't think there's a right or a wrong i don't know if it's true or not like who knows right like but i do feel like cannabis and mushrooms have very strong personalities the more i start to get to know them on this like trying to get to their level i don't know how to even put this i'm going to start sounding more psychonautic than i will plan to but i think that that mushrooms too. Oh, they're such little tricksters. Um, I really identify with the persona that I've given them (laughs) and, and they are kind of misfit seekers and there's something really kind of beautiful and fun and something I really, um, really attached to with that, that I don't know if I'm putting the persona on them or they're giving me the persona. It's hard to tell, but I think that, that's part of having a spiritual practice with these plants. A lot of people start to personify them and see them and, and use, you know, pronouns like she or they or for a plan. And, and I think that I don't really know what I think. I think I'm still learning. I think that plants are amazing and i wouldn't be surprised if they had some kind of intelligence they're like making music and breathing and doing all these other things i think that it's very possible and they are starting to talk to me so i don't know (laughs) is that a good answer
0: thank you thank you for bringing (laughs) not being afraid of a little woo
1: (laughs) i do love my woo yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i would say can we agree psilocybin is a he is that, is that Maybe. what it's classified as?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I I've never gendered it. I feel like cannabis is definitely a she, but I feel like mushrooms to me are multiple beings. You know, so oh. it's could be androgynous. You know, they're a whole community. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> the cactus is a he.
1: Mm, I could see that people call him the father, don't they? Or no, that's ibo a boga. I think people call the father. And- yeah, I think
2: the grandfather is the. Wachuma, the San Pedro cactus. Oh, interesting. The the masculine energy, at least in there. But I, yeah, I agree. The mushroom is, yeah, you know, for for me, like you mentioned, it was funny, you just called called the mushroom the trickster. And (laughs) that's something that I've come across before. And I've actually felt that trickster energy when when I often feel that sort of that yin-yang sensation within me during a trip that I have that very masculine sort of a male sense of of power and grounding this and maybe I'm sitting around a fire and then they'll just be on my shoulder or just out of the corner of my eye that that feminine side will be there it'll just be kind of reminding me that hang on like you know I'm still here as well you know and I'll realize like who's talking to me am I talking to myself or you know so I, I always like to just think that you know maybe they're all just reflections of our own consciousness and just this expanded universal conscious language that we're tapping into. And maybe that's just within us. Maybe it's, that's that, that's that God within us that we're just looking at and we're maybe it's just easy for us to, to give them names and to, to, to assign them these different characters out there. But uh, yeah, I think it's a fun, it's always a fun kind of experience going into these different um, ceremonies or trips to, to see what's there and to see how your own sense of, of, of letting go or, or attachments is going to come up and be shown up in the experience because it always is. Right.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. The duality thing, you know, it's funny you say that because I think that's very much part of like the, the Mazatec, uh, Mexican indigenous culture here, um, that I've been learning about. They very much view the mushrooms in a, in a in like a lot of cultural things in this masculine and feminine duality and you're supposed to eat the mushrooms in pairs to keep it the duality you know equal um when you do a ceremony and so yeah people have definitely been experiencing that for then centuries right if it's like this indigenous group is feeling this so it's 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 kind of hard to not think that there's something going on when so many people have really similar like realizations and stuff like that like perhaps the mushrooms or the plants are like way smarter than us and they're just like oh silly humans personifying us we want nothing to do with personification we're way smarter than you all."
2: I always love. I always love listening to Dennis McKenna because he always somehow comes back to that story where, where him and Terence were were down there and they discovered all these mushrooms and then they, they came out of that experience realizing that it's like we're not in control of any of this. And I think that was in his early days in his thirties, and now he's probably close to seventy, and he's still saying the same thing. You know, so I think he 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 has so much reverence for the for the for the power of this spirit whatever it is whether it's something external to us or whether it's something sort of endogenous to our own brain or who knows i think it's a it's a beautiful mystery anyway and i think the mushroom is is such a whatever we want to call it right Whether we want to call it a medicine or or a teacher or or a reflection of our own soul i think it's a i think it's a it's a it's a very beautiful and powerful sacrament that we can that we can bring a lot of reverence and a lot of context to our own sense of of being alive and being human and i think it's something that we don't need to to always sort of adhere to certain ideas of how we should do it or or how we should represent the the mushroom in ceremony or or which traditions we should follow or 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 respect or not but we should we should just respect the the process of of going into ceremony and and hold these hold these beautiful chemicals these substances with in in such high regard because yeah i mean i've been such a for me such a such a profound part of my life and i you know when i a few years ago went in to my first mushroom ceremony all very carefully planned and and organized and and i was just just blown away just by how 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 powerfully illuminating they were for, for so many different aspects of of my life that i was just not aware of and then and and then, from there it's it's always it's always been such an important part of the process for me to to hold these um these little teachers in in such high regard and not to disrespect them and and I think yeah, I think your book is a really good representation for people who are maybe maybe new to this or even people that want this as a good reference guide is is approach these things carefully, you know sure, have fun with them um approach them with intention to heal or to 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 illuminate our conscious awareness or creativity, but, but, but take it seriously.
1: Yeah. 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 That was like, if people take nothing more from the book, I was hoping they would take that. So excellent. (laughs) But, you know, um, oh, I wanted to say something else to that. Um, but now I'm forgetting, um, Oh, that, you know, it's so incredible that, there are like over 150 different species of psilocybin containing mushrooms around the world. That's always, that these, that that experience lives in a plant in the woods is like, it just always blows my mind. It's so beautiful. It's, this planet is so amazing. Um, And there's just that there are so many, and they're like in every continent, basically. Um, It's a really beautiful thing. There's, there can't not be some kind of reason for that. Um, and like, yeah, I keep thinking about, I was, I just listened to this Kathleen Harrison talk about cannabis spirituality. And she kept asking like, who is cannabis and, and why is it here now? And this was in 2017. And, and now I keep thinking now that psychedelics and mushrooms are, are becoming such a bigger thing. It's like, who are the mushrooms and and what are they doing here right now there it can't just be a coincidence this like crazy time in our culture and and the resurgence of mushroom use it's like gotta there's i don't know there's something there (laughs) for sure
2: yeah i think there's so much more that we could talk about michelle we haven't even got to the the whole Mexican um, part of how you got down there and why why you're down there and what you found down there during your research. So maybe we could have you on again um, to talk about that. It's such a it's such an important question as well as looking at the the actual history of these these um, these substances as well and what history can teach us about our contemporary use and the way that we can approach these these um, substances as well. So maybe we could we could have a, have a part two at some stage and and go deeper into, into that. And I could maybe bring in some of my anthropological tales as well. And, uh, and maybe have a fun discussion about that.
1: Yeah. Everyone stay tuned for part two. I'm definitely done. This has been been really fun. You guys, I'm having a good time. This is, um, I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's great.
0: Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much.
2: So I really recommend your book. Um, your psilocybin mushroom companion, and um, that's available at uh, at all good online bookstores, I guess. Now that
1: yeah, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Powell's Books, whatever your preference, um, you should be able to find it.
2: <laughs> and your latest writings, uh, we can find them on your Instagram feed or. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram at michelle.janikian, and I do have a website too, michellejanikian.com, where I try to keep updated with my work and the podcast, reviews of the book, that kind of thing. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> And can you give us a wee sneaky clue into what you're currently writing about?
1: Ooh, um, <laughs> I'm just finishing this really epic and kind of controversial article on um psychedelics and bipolar disorder and that'll come out soon on psychedelics today so look out for that i've been working on this one for a long time and uh, i'm excited for it to hit the world because there's a lot of i think a lot of new ideas in there that um i'm really nervous about so yeah I can stay tuned <laughs>
2: Yeah we've got to share ideas and I think it was Terence that once said that that's the that's the thing that's lacking in 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 modern society is people is people being afraid to come back to go out on these adventures and these journeys and come back with ideas so I think it's really nice to to have your voice out there uh, you know and uh, and to be sharing your experiences and your ideas and uh, and yeah it was really nice to to have a chat
1: thank Yes super kind yeah thank you so much <laughs>